Our communion meditation is in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 1, and I'll start reading at verse 19. Then they rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord, and returned and came to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. So it came to pass in the process of time that Hannah conceived and bore a son, and called his name Samuel, saying, Because I have asked for him from the Lord. Now the man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, Not until the child is weaned, then I will take him, that he may appear before the Lord and remain there forever. So Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only let the Lord establish his word. Then the woman stayed and nursed her son until she had weaned him. Now when she had weaned him, she took him up with her, with three bulls, one ephah of flour, and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered a bull and brought the child to Eli. And she said, O my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood by you here praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition, which I asked of him. Therefore I also have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord. So they worshiped the Lord there. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for this, your word. We pray that you would open our minds to it, uh, give us understanding, uh, and allow us always to apply your word uh, wherever we find the truth. And we pray, Lord, that you would apply this to our hearts, our minds, our lives, to our, the way we think and the way we act and the decisions that we make. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So this is the fourth message from this uh, Hannah, Hannah's Prayer series. And so the first was Hannah is miserable, and we have recovered that a couple times. She was tormented by what Scripture calls her rival, Panina, for not having any children. And then she poured all this out to the Lord. Eli prayed for her, and she went away peaceful. She was comforted by his prayer. Then, the last time, we talked about how God answered her prayer. Uh, God, and I just read that portion in verses 19 and 20, uh, God remembered her and gave her the son that she sought. So now today, we will look into what was covered earlier, and I'll start at verse 11. Then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant, and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child. Then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall come upon his head. So she had made a promise to God, a vow, and he then fulfilled his part of this vow. Verses 19 and 20, the Lord remembered her. It came to pass in the process of time that Hannah conceived and bore a son and called his name Samuel, saying, because I have asked for him from the Lord, and Samuel means I have been heard. Let me read verse 23 again. 
Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. And then he says something else. Only let the Lord establish his word. Then the woman stayed and nursed her son till she had weaned him. So we don't know exactly when this occurred, but he is thinking that perhaps she'll come with me to this festival now and bring Samuel. But she said, no, I'm not going up yet. This last phrase, when he says, let the Lord establish his word. I read in many versions, and it was interesting, in the Septuagint it it is uh, translated this way. The Lord established that which is gone forth out of your mouth. I believe what her husband is reminding her of and is a little bit concerned about is her need to fulfill this vow that she has made. Now she has the desires of her heart in her hands. And yet she has to give them up. And I believe her husband is reminding her of the vow she had made. Now, it's in Elkanah's best interests that she fulfill this vow. In Numbers chapter 30, verse 15, and this whole chapter 30 is about vows, and it talks about how if a daughter makes a vow and the father doesn't want that vow to be confirmed, he can annul it. If a wife makes a vow and the husband hears it and doesn't want that vow to be confirmed, he can annul it. But when he hears of it, if he doesn't annul it, then it's his vow too. And actually, it's his vow. If she breaks the vow, he's held accountable for her having broken the vow. Let me read verse 15. But if he does make them void after he has heard them, then he shall bear her guilt. So if he does not nullify the vow, and yet the vow is later broken through her actions or his, God is going to hold him accountable. That is federal headship in a nutshell relative to this vow. So he's concerned, I believe. And in the text, he's reminding her of this. Verse 24, now when she had weaned him, she took him up with her, with three bulls, one of a flower, a skin of wine. So she fully intends now to fulfill this. She is taking this boy, Samuel. And now it's very likely, I think, that he has been weaned between age two and three. He's probably about three by the time that they're going to this next festival where she's going to give him over to the temple worship, the tabernacle. And here she is speaking with Eli. For this child I prayed... And the Lord has granted me my petition, which I asked of him. Therefore, I also have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord. So they worshiped the Lord there. Now, she's reminding him. She says when she first shows up there, Eli, I'm the woman that was here pleading for this child, and now I have this child. Here, you take him. Earlier, it's not made clear to us that she conveyed what her intentions were to Eli. That's not there at all. When you read chapter 1, it's not there. And I wonder if Eli is goggle-eyed when she says, Here, I'm leaving now. 
And yet, this little boy, this three-year-old boy, I think, is what we would term precocious. He's been a Nazarite from birth. And when you think about it, it's, I mean, Judges is very interesting. We have 1 Samuel here, which is really the close of Judges. You had Samson, who was a Nazarite from birth, incredible physical strength, tremendous feats that he accomplished. And now the last of the Judges is this Nazarite from birth. And yet his strength is manifested not as physical strength, not as body strength, but he is this prophet of God. He is this voice of God. And so God's power is now shown. We saw the weakness of Samson's power, and now we see the strength, the true strength of God's power coming to bear in the land of Israel. She is lending him to the Lord all the days of his life. Now think about this. Think about when she had made that vow. Who was she obligating in her vow? She was sacrificing. Yes, she was. But she was obligating the loss of her son, but yet she was obligating her son's entire life to God. I mean, in our culture, this is unheard of, unthinkable. I'm going on that fiddler of the roof quote. So see, she has committed her son to this entire path, even before he was born, because she knew that if God did give her this son, that that's what God wants. That's the vow she's made. If God fulfills this, that's his destiny. And God did fulfill it. That's his destiny. The Nazarite vow is interesting. Uh, number six, and you hear a quote from number six often in our worship services. The very last verse is the Aaronic blessing. And yet all of number six explains the vow of the Nazarite, the importance of it, the integrity of it. And what's interesting is when you read number six, the Nazarite vow is implied as a temporary vow. It's very clear. And so that Samson was a lifelong Nazarite, that Samuel is a lifelong Nazarite, isn't even mentioned in number six in the Nazarite vow. So they had gone far beyond and yet they were rewarded for it, honored for it. In Numbers 6, verse 8, we read this. And it's concerning the Nazarite vow, and it's concerning this boy that you've designated to be this. All the days of his separation, he shall be holy to the Lord. And so during this period of time that this, this man is to be under this Nazarite vow, he is declared as totally owned by God. His life is not his own. His time is not his own. And so that's what you have in Samson and Samuel. You have these people that are wholly dedicated to God. They are living sacrifices. And vows are serious. Uh, in Ecclesiastes 5.5, 5, we uh, studied this like a couple years ago. Better not to vow than to vow and not pay. So God takes vows very seriously. And I'm sure that many of us have probably taken vows of some sort. All of us who are married have taken vows. And many of us who are unmarried may have already also taken vows. 
They're important to God. God wants to hold us accountable to our word, and he will hold us accountable for our vows. Hannah, I don't believe, ever varied. She never uh, was, was going to not fulfill this vow. But when her husband is looking at her with that baby, he's probably wondering. It's like Reagan's popular phrase, trust, but verify. I think he was probably just a little bit worried that Hannah might try to back out of her vow, and yet she did not. It reminds me of when David had, uh, had lamented that he had no water when he was in hiding, and yet two of his men broke through the lines, drew the uh, water from the well, came all the way back to him, and he refused to drink it, and he poured it out. That's what she had done. She would received the greatest blessing she could ever have on this world, and yet she gave it up. And David poured it out. Why? Because only God was worthy of that level of sacrifice. And that's what we're talking about here. And that's really what we're celebrating here. Only God could do this. And so that's why we commemorate the Lord's Supper. It is so special. Um, Many of you that have grown up in this church don't realize that having weekly communion has not always been a very common thing. Why? Because communion is so special. People argued that it should not be done every week because it's too special to be done every week. But yet that's why. That's why we have to do it every week. Because it's so special. Let's pray. Father, you have given us all things in Christ. And salvation is what we focus on. But Lord, you have given us uh, a future and a hope. You have saved us from the penalty of sin. And yet you have also saved us for a purpose. And so we thank you, Lord, that we have a purpose that is bigger than us. Samuel had a purpose that was bigger than him. So we thank you, Lord, that you have done this for us. And we pray that you would awaken in us what is our purpose. What is it that you would have us each to do, to be? We thank you, Lord, for your call on our life. And we pray that as we come to communion, we would not take it lightly. That we would desire to live for you and that we would seek to understand more each day in what way we will live for you. We thank you, Father, for your kindness and ask you now to bless this to our bodies. In Jesus' name, amen.